oldest son is at his first formal dance tonight. How many of you guys remember your first formal? You remember, oh man, you put on the, the, you know, the whole get up and you had to get the whole flower thing going for the girl if you're a guy and you had that whole awkwardness and everything. I, it's just really, really, uh, you know, it's so much fun to be in that, in that uh, age in life and that carefree, man, I, to go back to high school, man. I'm going to get depressed. I better stop. No bills, no responsibility. No, stop it. But it's very cool to be able to see, you know, those types of things happen, those milestones in your life, if you will, those mile markers that make you understand what's important with family and kids and all that good stuff. So my son, my wife, they're doing the picture thing and all that good stuff. And I'm sure you know a lot of people are out there as well. Well, the last several weeks, you and I have had the uh, – I think it's kind of a cool opportunity to be able to talk. I'm going to kind of come closer to you guys tonight since everybody's so far away from me. The cool opportunity to be able to talk about the plan that God had for mankind. A few weeks ago, we gave you some homework. And that homework consisted of reading Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3 to be able to understand what life looked like in the very beginning. If you read those chapters, then you know that in the beginning, God had a plan to create everything that you and I see, the stars in the sky, the ocean, the trees, the animals, even you and I. God created all of it. And during this process of creation, every single time God got done creating something, he said the words, it is good. He created the animals. He created the fish. He created the, the, the land and the sea. And at the end of the day, he always said, it is good. And what that means literally is it is perfect. It's without flaw. It's without disease. It's without sickness. It's perfect. And you and I saw as we read that, as we read that chronological order that in the beginning, there was no sickness. There was no death. There were no wars. None of those things when it started. But as we read the story in Genesis chapters 1 and get into Genesis 2 and 3, we find out that there was this very tragic event that took place where God literally saw in front of his eyes his children taken from him. They were lied to. We saw that as Satan, God's enemy, came into the garden and, and he, he tempted Eve and he, he got her to do something that God said not to do, that there was, there was something that came in between God and his children. It was sin. And it literally brought a curse onto the face of the earth. And when you and I look around the world that we live in today, we see the effects of that curse. We see that chain reaction that's been passed down from father to son, from mother to daughter, for years and years and years. We see the effects firsthand in front of our lives, all around us right now, the effects of what happened to God's perfection. We don't live in a perfect world anymore, right? You and I deal with all kinds of stuff. I had a, a friend of our family suddenly pass away yesterday, the day before, because just something happened to his body, and it didn't work the way God created it to work, and he's gone. You and I do not live in a perfect world anymore.
we see the effects of sin and the curse all the time. But when we read that story in Genesis, we find that God's heart was not to be separated from his kids. It tore God up to have to watch his children leave the garden. It tore God up to know that there was something, someone in between God and his children. And the Bible told us as we looked last week at the story of how Christ came for us and literally paid a ransom to buy his kids back from the one that held them sin. And he said, I will send my son Jesus as a ransom. And we talked about how hard it must have been for God as a father, knowing that he lost his kids and knowing that he lost the perfection that he had created. We talked about how hard it must have been for him to send his other son Jesus to pay the price for us and how hard it is for us as, as humans to relate to that, as humans to relate to that. And yet how beautiful it is for us to be able to appreciate what God did for us. Tonight, I want to pick it up where we left off last week, because I think that there is so much more to this crazy story that we find ourselves in, that when God lost his kids, Adam and Eve, and they left that garden, they were completely separated from their father. They lost that connection. They lost that intimacy. They lost the ability to conversation and to, to, to relate and to talk. And over time, as generation upon generation started to unfold, you can read the stories of the people in the Bible and you can almost see how day after day, year after year went by. And as they lost more and more of that relationship with God of what they once knew, they began to misunderstand God more and more and more. They began to misunderstand the heart of God. They began to look at God as somebody that was angry at them. They began to look at God as somebody who did not have their best interests at heart. You can read it in the stories of the Bible. They began to feel as if God were somebody to hide from. They misunderstood God as a result of this separation. You see, I believe that at the core of why Jesus came was because God was tired of being misunderstood. I don't know if you've ever felt misunderstood before, but it's a horrible feeling. If you've ever found yourself in a situation in life where somebody meets you and Maybe they don't give you a fair shake. Maybe they judge you from the outside of the cover. Maybe they look at you or they, they see who you run around with and they, they judge you based upon the perception that they have. But it's a horrible feeling to be misunderstood. You can't be yourself. Sometimes you can't even really recover from that misunderstanding. And when I read the stories of the Bible and I read the things that some of these people said about the way they saw God, it's not the God that I know. It doesn't look anything like the God that I know. I think God was misunderstood. And he said, I want people to know who I really am. And so tonight when we pick up the story, I want to share with you a scripture about how Jesus came for us. Because when Jesus came for us, it says in John chapter 1 
that he came into the very world that he created, but the world didn't recognize him. Think about that. He came into the very world that he created, but the world did not recognize him. The Bible tells us if we read together in Genesis that God made us in the image of him. In other words, there's a piece of God inside of us that he created in his image. And the Bible says that when Jesus, God, came to the world, they looked at him and he was a stranger. They didn't recognize him. God was misunderstood. And so if we can keep on reading in the book of John, chapter 1, there's an amazing thing that starts to unfold that says, so the word became human and lived here on earth among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. This is Jesus we're talking about. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the only son of the father. Verse 16 says, we have all benefited from the rich blessings that he brought to us, one gracious blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but his only son, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has told us about him. He has told us about him. You see, God needed somebody that could accurately represent who he really was. He needed somebody that could come to where we lived and could show us what the Father's heart really be like, what it really looked like, what it really felt. Because God throughout history had been misunderstood. He had been painted as some angry God that was so full of anger and so full of wrath that at any moment you better watch out or else God was going to shoot lightning bolts down from the sky. And people had that fear of God. And he says, I can't have this anymore. I have to send somebody that can set the record straight. I have to send Jesus. And so when we read about Jesus and we read about all the things that he did, we begin to put ourselves in the story. You can read every statement that Jesus ever said, and you can put before the statement, this is what God is really like. Read the encounters of Jesus when he met the woman who was caught in adultery. The woman who was literally caught having sex with somebody that wasn't her husband. I don't know if you can imagine the shame or the embarrassment, but in those days, it was a big deal. This was before Jerry Springer and all that stuff like today. But back in those days, it was a big deal. The embarrassment of this woman, and Jesus comes up to her, and he has a conversation with her, and he doesn't judge her, and he treats her as somebody that's worth something, something of value. Before that story, I want you to think, this is what God is really like. He is full, we just read it, he is full of unfailing love and kindness. That's what our father is really like. God gave the law to Moses. He says, Moses, all of these people are out of control and I can't get to them. I can't have a relationship with them. I can't connect with them because there is this huge chasm between us called sin. 
So Moses, I am going to give you the best thing that I know. It's some temporary rules that will try to keep them from killing themselves. It's all I can do. And God gave Moses the law. And if you read in the book of Hebrews, you find that the law was temporary. It was not something that could change the heart of a man. It was only something that could restrain them from themselves. But God says, I'm not satisfied with that. I want to know him. But I want to ask you something tonight. If you're honest with yourself, if you're honest with us tonight, have you ever felt at any time in your life like God was mad at you? Have you ever felt that? You ever felt that God was angry with you? Have you ever gone through a situation in your life where you, you were just like, God, I know what I did. You have got to be so mad at me right now. You've got to be so angry at me. There are people that I know that I have talked to who have lived their entire life hiding from God because they're convinced that God is angry with them. And they don't know what to do with that. That's a heavy thing to carry, to have to carry the fear, the thought, the pressure, the stress that if there is a God, he's mad at me. Man, that's hard. Have you ever felt like God was angry at you? You see, God in Scripture talks about anger, talks about his anger talks about his wrath, talks about how he has feelings. But you know what? God's anger is not directed at us. God's anger is not directed at people. God is angry with the same thing that he was angry with that very first day in the Garden of Eden when Satan came between him and his kids and Satan lied to his daughter and Satan put that thing between them. God is angry, but he's not angry at us. God is angry at sin. God is angry at the spirit of this world. God is angry at the enemy of your souls because of what he does to people's lives. You see, when the curse of sin entered into this thing called earth and everywhere that you and I live, Satan began to do what Satan wanted to do. He got domain to be able to have, wreak havoc in your life and in my life, and he began to do that. Where do you think addiction came from? Where do you think cancer came from? Where do you think adultery came from? Where do you think abandonment came from? Abuse. Where do you think this came from? When God created everything, it was perfect. Satan came in between God and his kids. And God got mad. God got mad. And so when you and I feel those feelings of God must be mad at me? No, in your heart, that Jesus came to set the record straight. Let me tell you what Jesus told us. In John chapter 14, I want to tell you a brief encounter that Jesus had with his disciples. He's talking to his disciples about the fact that he's getting ready to leave the earth. And that when he leaves, he's going to come back for them. He's not going to leave them alone forever. He's telling them that he's going to give them the Holy Spirit to live inside of them so that they can have a permanent connection with God everywhere that they go and that God can live through them. He's telling them all this in this dialogue that we're about to pick up on. And in verse 6, he's talking to a man named Thomas. And Jesus tells him, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had known who I am, then you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you know him and have seen him. And then Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. And Jesus replied, Philip, don't you even yet know who I am? Even after all the time that I have been with you, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking to see him? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say are not my own, but my Father who lives in me does his work through me. Just believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus came to show us who the Father was. Jesus came to model for us the love of God, the love of our Father. He came to give us the proper perspective. He came to clear up the misunderstanding that you and I feel, that you and I felt. And when Jesus was talking to his disciples, he was showing them that if they had a relationship with Jesus, they had a relationship with their father. You could not separate the two. You could not take Jesus away from the father. It was as if they were the same person. And so when we read the account of Jesus in scripture, and we go through and we read all of the red letters, and we read all of the statements that Jesus made, we should know this is what our father is really like. You know what he said? I could, I could give you a million examples, but the one that I want you to think on tonight is Matthew 11. And Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle. He says, you will find rest for your souls. He says, my yoke fits perfectly, and the burden that I give you is light. Think about these things that Jesus says. He says, come to me. He doesn't say, get away from me. He says, I'm gentle. He's not harsh. He says, I'm humble. In other words, he's not judgmental. He's not going to look down on you. And he says, I will give you rest. That's what our father is really like. That's the one that wants to have a relationship with you tonight. That's the one that you have felt your entire life pulling you toward himself. That's the father that longs to have you hear his voice. You see, we believe here that there is a force that is undeniable. We call it the gravity of God because it has pulled at you and drawn you and compelled you to come close to him. And you and I have done our best to resist it. But it's exhausting to live that way, to try to fight God. Some of us have resisted because we have felt that God was mad at us and we didn't want to get too close to him. 
because we were embarrassed or we were ashamed. Your father says tonight, I'm not angry at you. Your father says tonight, I'm not angry at you. I love you. He says, I love you. There are some of you here tonight that have been finding yourself taking steps towards God. And you sense yourself getting closer and closer and closer because you know you're becoming convinced that God is good. You look around the world and you see bad things. We all do. But you're coming closer to God because there's something inside of you that is pulling you. And it's God. And he's convincing you slowly but surely that he is good and that he desires good things for your life. And tonight is a night for you to take another step. We're going to come as we do every week. We're going to take communion together. We're going to open our hearts up to God in this covenant that God has given to us. We're going to sing a little bit more and open up our hearts to God in worship. But there's some of you here tonight that you need to do something bold. When you come down here tonight, I challenge you that when you get your communion and you take that bread and you dip it in the juice, I'm going to challenge you to come around these steps here and kneel before God and begin to cry out to him and to begin to say, God, I want to know you. I want to have a relationship with you. And by you doing that tonight, by you coming and kneeling, that's going to be a sign for others of us to come and kneel next to you and to pray with you and to agree with you about the good things that we see God doing in your life and the fact that God is pulling you close to him. I'm going to challenge you to do that tonight. I'm going to ask the band to come on back up here. They're going to come up here and we're going to sing a few more songs as we take communion together tonight. But if you're here tonight and you say, God, I feel you pulling me and I want to be connected to you. I want to open my heart up to you. I challenge you to come down and allow us to pray with you. Allow us to connect you to God in that personal and that intimate way. To open up your heart to God in a way that maybe you haven't yet. Let's pray. Jesus, tonight we thank you that we can come close to you. We thank you that there's nothing separating us from you. We thank you that we can get in a place to where we step aside and allow you to live through us. So God, tonight I pray that as we come to this communion table, that God, that we would experience all that you have desired for us to experience. That Jesus, that you would meet us here. That you would meet us here.